Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. Hey, Laura Murphy Oates here. This week, we've been revisiting the best full story episodes of 2023. But today, we're doing something a little different and playing you one of my favorite episodes of all time. That's because, if you haven't heard yet, I'm finishing up on Full Story. And aside from a special summer series we're playing over the next two weeks, I won't be returning as host in 2024. This episode, recorded in November 2019, when the show was just starting out, encapsulates so much of what I love about Full Story. It's a beautiful snapshot of history, brought to you by the Ananu people in their own words and language, and by one of Australia's best storytellers, Indigenous Affairs Editor Lorena Allen. Okay, I hope you enjoy. In 2017, the world was told the Uluru climb is closing. And since then, hysteria has been growing. We've seen waves of tourists flock to the rock, plus politicians and media commentators insisting that the broader public are being robbed of their rights. The thing is, we've actually heard all this before, way back in 1985, when the deeds to the land were handed back to their traditional owners, the Ananu people. Now, you'll hear from some of the Ananu themselves about the complex relationship between their community, the tourists and their sacred sites, and what they see as the future for Uluru. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. Just a warning for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners, this episode contains voices of deceased persons. And the end of an era, the final day of climbing at Uluru. Rangers are preparing to shut the climb for the final time as the last groups of tourists ascend the rock. I was bracing myself for a bit of a circus. Lorena Allen is the Indigenous Affairs Editor at The Guardian. Very windy morning. It's about 7.30 in the morning. There were hundreds of cars lining the road up to the car park. There were buses full of tourists. But if you can hear that wind, it's even stronger up the top. Even though this is the last day, we think that the Parks Australia has closed the climb for now. We're just going to go and find out. So we got out and walked to the gate. There's a very long queue of people just standing around at the base at the beginning of the climb. So for the two previous days, the climb had been closed because it had been too hot. Mm. And here, once again... First assessment at 7 o'clock determined it was too windy to open. Parks Australia continued to review the safety of the climb at two hourly intervals. There are several... Parks was telling people, you can't go up. So there was real tension in the air. I can imagine people wouldn't be very happy about no, that. <laughs> no, but they were queuing nonetheless. But I was unprepared for how 
the kind of energy that was in the air. There was a it was a festive feeling, but it was a very like it was an ugly festive, if you know what I mean. There were, people were there, they were impatient and senses were heightened because there was a real chance that people would not get to go up on that very last day and there were some people in that queue who were who were very unhappy about it. The park's rangers were also nervous, I think, because they didn't want there to be any violence. They were worried, I think, that people would object to being denied their what they thought was their right to climb. As people went to walk uh, and walk up Uluru and climb Uluru on this last day, what did they walk past? So there were a few things that they saw. The most crucial thing is they saw a big sign that has been there since the early 90s that explains to people very carefully and in very simple terms why Anangu don't want you to climb, why it is important to them spiritually, why it's a sacred site. So there's, it's very polite and very clear, please don't climb in big letters. Well, you know, at the end of the day, respect is a choice. Um, yeah, obviously it's, it's you know, disappointing, but... So I spoke to one of the park rangers, TJ Thomas, who's a local Anangu man, about the decision that tourists keep making to just walk past that sign every day. Uh, well, I guess it's, it's, you know, rather emotional having elders who picked up this long journey before I was born uh, to close the climb and now they're no longer here but we're you know, carrying on their legacy to close the climb so there's a bit of sadness there but also you know a lot of happiness knowing that the, the climb will be closed and uh, you know respect is going to be given to Anangul's wishes. So people have been climbing the rock and walking past that sign for quite a while but Uluru you know, has been special to the Ananu for much longer than that. Can you tell us a little bit about this history? So the Ananu that I spoke to have said that as long as they can remember, this rock is important and sacred to them, and it's a knowledge that is passed down over thousands of years. So when Whitefellas came... The Outback Experience from an air-conditioned room. And they called it Ayers Rock and they allowed all sorts of tourism at the base. A dusty suburb has grown around the edges of Australia's best-known landmark. A sprawling little town with the rock in the front yard and an airstrip in the back. It was always distressing to Anunga to see this sort of activity going on. In the red dust of central Australia, just before sunset, the date October the 26th, 1985 takes a major place in Australian history. In 1985, a deal was finally struck after this long, protracted battle with the Northern Territory government, pastoral interests, mining interests, tourism interests. It's the day Ayers Rock, or Uluru, and the land around it, is given back to the traditional Aboriginal owners. Anangu were handed the title deeds to Uluru Karajuta and immediately leased them back to the Commonwealth for 99 years, to be run as a national park. It's called Uluru Karajuta National Park. There's a board of management that is predominantly Anangu, um, but partly made up of Parks Australia, which, you know, the National Parks and Wildlife Service. And so as part of the deal, Anangu would get 25% of the gate takings, uh, which is, you know, the money that's accrued every year from people paying to visit the park. And they could use that money for community projects. And the other 75% of the gate takings go back to the Commonwealth, which they use to help run the park. So the Ananu get 25%? Yes. 
Um, how did the federal government feel about this and how did the state government feel about this? So the federal government endorsed the plan. I think it was conditional that they, they said, look, you can have your country back, but we want to maintain some form of tourism there. We think it's really important. And we said, of course, that's absolutely, we're happy to share our country with you. And this is something they have said over and over and over again. But the Northern Territory government was famously opposed to just about every Aboriginal land rights claim that was made in the Territory. Ian Tuxworth, the Chief Minister, was very public in his um, complaint about it. He said the rock was being taken away from all Australians. This was our right as Australians to have access to this rock. Mm. We do not accept the premise that groups of people own national parks or sites of significance. Ayers Rock is every Australian's dream time. There is no proven traditional group that has ownership to Ayers Rock was being given to this tiny vested interest group of very unsophisticated people. Very unsophisticated people. Mm, this is, is the Ananu that he is correct. speaking about. Correct. Okay. This is uh, code. Um, on the day when Uluru was handed back to its traditional owners, it was a really happy day of celebration. The Ananu was so happy that they had finally got this precious place back. Yami Lester, who is a Yungajara man, sadly passed away now. He was the MC on the day. And um, you, sir, for coming to this place, 26th of October. And uh, I'm glad to... He did joke to the crowd. He said, oh, thank you for coming to see this rock. Last time, I understand. Tomorrow morning when you wake up... The rock will be missing. The Aboriginal people are going to take it away. <laughs> <laughs> there was laughter. At, like People thought it was funny because they understood how ridiculous you know, it, th these claims were. And a, an aircraft, a light aircraft, flew over the celebrations with a banner that said, Airs rock for all Australians. And the funny thing was, according to people who were there on the day, is that people cheered because they thought it was part of the celebrations. So what happened with the climb from the handback till now? How has that changed over the years? Mm. So Anangu have tolerated the climb, but because it traverses these very special and sacred sites, they have always said, please don't climb. We would rather you did not climb. It's taken a very long time to convince all the, all the necessary authorities that that was the right decision to make, but they have always said that they eventually want to close the climb. When do they decide to close it down? So in 2010, the Park Board of Management met and they decided three things should happen for the climb to be closed. One is that the board was satisfied that there were enough new visitor experiences set up in the park, so enough alternatives to climbing for visitors to do, that the proportion of visitors who come to the park who actually climb falls below 20%. They would consider closing the climb and to acknowledge that the cultural and the natural experiences are the main reason why people come to the park. So in 2017, only 8% of visitors who came said they intended to climb and only 2% of those actually did climb. So you can see how parks realised that this was not really a major tourism activity any longer. Mm. And that combined with being satisfied that the other criteria were met, they made the decision in 2017 to close it. And over these past two years... What has the reaction been to the closure of the climb? What have people been saying about it? 
Well, of course, there's a range of reactions and the most common one really is, thank goodness, you know, thank goodness this is closing now. It's actually going to be better for the rock. But there were a number of people who, for for whatever personal reason they have, decided that they would come and do it anyway. And some of them were quite, uh, quite defiantly anti-Indigenous. So, you know, so there were quite clearly people going, they're not going to take this away from me. It belongs to me as an Australian and it's my right to climb it. Mm. Some of this backlash reminds me of the handback. Do, mm. do some of these narratives, are some of these narratives similar to what was going on back in 1985? They are. And a few people I spoke to out there who've been, who were around in 1985 said exactly that, that a lot of the conversations being held saying, you know, the rock belongs to all Australians. That's precisely the rhetoric that the Northern Territory government was using at the time. So they they expressed some disappointment, I think, that there was this kind of persistent view that that uh, non-Indigenous Australians were being denied something that they saw as their right to enjoy. And are they being denied something that is their right to enjoy? Well, technically no, because Uluru is Anangu land. It's Anangu land under Jukupa, which is Anangu law. It's also Anangu land under European law. They were handed the title deeds to that park. So technically speaking, they could have locked people out of the park 34 years ago and have chosen to keep it open because they have said, and they said on the weekend, we want to come together, let's close it together. There are so many more things we want to show you that will teach you the true story of this place. So you just can't climb it. You can walk around it, you can ride a Segway around it, you can float in a hot air balloon over it, you can sit and eat a five-course meal and look at it, but you just can't climb it. No one's rights are being impinged upon. You can still visit Uluru. That, that was the message, I think, that the traditional owners and Parks Australia were trying to get across. The climb is just one thing you can do. Come with us and we'll show you all these other cool things you can experience. Next, a new dawn for Uluru. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So it's the last day of the climb and for the first few hours the tourists haven't been allowed up there. Tensions are getting pretty high. What happens next? Uh, Parks did an assessment again at 10am. The wind had dropped and it was safe enough to climb and they opened the gate 
and a great cheer went up among the climbers who, you know, thought finally we're we're, going to get our big chance. And the first guy in the queue ran up the first 100 metres. He he ran out of the gate like it was a horse race. He got about 100 metres up, realised how steep it was and and slowed down significantly. Was everyone happy that the climb was open that day? No, of course not. So uh, Vince Forrester, who's an Anangu man from... He lives in Mutatulu. He was around in 1985 when the rock was handed back to the traditional owners. He's also had a lot to do with the Central Land Council over the years. He's quite a prominent Anangu man in Central Australia. And he was booing the climbers as they went up. Got out of read. Big flame there in all languages. So when I went to talk to him... G'day, Vince. Can you tell us what, how you're feeling about today as the last day? Well, the initial handback, I was involved with the Hawke government. I was advising to them about getting Uluru back. So basically, Vince said, Anangu have always been happy with visitors coming. We say to the visitor, please come, please come. But we want to be involved in presenting our culture. But they think Anangu should be front and centre in making the decisions and, and clearly in making the decisions about tourism and the kind of experiences that tourists have when they come to Anangu land. He was very, very glad that the climb was closing and that that was the last day people could be little Minga Jutta on the rock. When you say Minga Jutta, what, what, what does that mean? Uh, in Pichinjara, Minga is the word for ants. And so they use it to describe the tourists who climb. And when you see those photographs of people snaking their way up, you do, they do look like a little trail of ants heading up the rock. So Minga Jutta Wea is no more climbing the rock. Tell us about the afternoon that the climb actually closed. We went back out just uh, just before four, uh, which was when the climb was due to close. And there was, again, that energy in the air that anything could have happened. When they finally hung the sign that said permanently closed, this great cheer went up. No more climb back today. Close it. Thank you very much. There was a big media scrum. There were photographers and cameramen and journalists everywhere. It was quite chaotic. And we're all very happy, as traditional owners, that the climb is now closed now. After a long fight from handback to today. You know those big moments in your life where it's happy and it's sad all at once? All the big emotions come rushing in. Once the sign was hung, we went with Sammy Wilson out to his country at Pachi. Sammy Wilson is the chair of the Central Land Council. He's also one of the senior traditional owners of Uluru, and it was his grandfathers who who received the title deeds in 1985. So. He knows all of that story. He knows all of that country. So he's a pretty important person in, in Central Australia. Sitting next to Sammy Wilson is the translator. His name is Patrick Hookie. Yeah, in 1985, the traditional owners were so happy to be able to get their land back and to be able to look after Jukurupa, the law here. And, and There's a great trust between them where Patrick, as an interpreter, 
um, Sammy trusts him to not just translate what he's saying, but trying to convert it into a way that non-Aboriginal people might understand the message. And so, you know, it was a time of great celebration and they, they carefully went about looking after it according to the law. So, you know, And they, then just they on a... sunset, we pulled up at, on this sand dune and you walked up the sand dune with Sammy and then there's this vista in front of us, sun's going down. Yeah. <laughs> and huh? there's Uluru, best view in the, in the country. Oh. <laughs> and this is your, you want to yeah. share this with people, eh? Yeah, oh, uh, malava. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Oh. And Sammy's just beaming because... So um, this is your country, eh? Hey. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my country. It's a lot of Anangu country here. It's a, it's a great area of sand dune country to travel across, um, great for hunting, great for... He came alive out there. He's quite quiet and quite stressed, I think, by the, the, the media, the mob and all of his obligations at the climb. But when we got out there and we sat down on that sand hill... Everything went quiet and all we could hear was sound of the wind in the she-oaks and it was just a very peaceful place. I was just translating yours. Okay. So what about tomorrow morning when you wake up and there's no more Minga going up the rock? No, Minga Juta. Well, I think, I think, you know, the rock will have a, a well-earned rest. It itself will be resting and, and we'll feel rested. And, you know, we often ask, you know, what is it they're looking for in doing that? You know, um, we'd like to show them what the place is really about and, and for them to learn and, and understand from Anangu. And so, you know, that's what's going to happen in the morning. It was a, you know, one of those times in your life where you just pinch yourself and you think, oh, <laughs> very unique experience. Uh, thank you. Palya, is it? Palya. It's peaceful. So, we can finish now if you. What will be wearing? So after this final day with the climb closed for good, what was the atmosphere like that weekend? As dawn rose over the rock on Saturday morning, it, it already felt different. So this was the first morning that there was never going to be another opening, never any more minga up the rock. So there was a big celebration on Saturday night at Murajulu, the inma or the big dance, and you could see people getting happier. Like it was, this, it was a big thing. It was a really important occasion. By Sunday afternoon when the official celebrations kicked off. There was a real feeling of happiness in the air, that something big had passed and that there were, you know, we could all relax a bit and, and celebrate. Here were all these different dance groups from all over Central Australia and they were dancing for themselves. <laughs> Mm. 
So I spoke to Elsie Taylor, who's originally from Urnabella on Pitjantjatjara land and lives at Mutitjulu. And through the interpreter, Katie Tozer, she said... And because what grandfather and grandmother have always said, what they're saying now, this is yours. Children, take this. We are giving it to you. It's yours to hold and pass on in turn now. So I think it was a really lovely way of saying, when you all go home tomorrow, we'll still be here and we're going to be here forever. And this is us just passing on our culture. This is, this is us living our lives in this place. That's it for today. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Just search for Full Story on your app of choice. We would also love to hear what you think about it so far. So if you're on an app that has ratings and reviews, give it a go. Special thanks to interpreters Patrick Hooley and Katie Tozer. And thanks to Lorena Allam for her time. You can read her reporting on Indigenous affairs at theguardian.com. And you can also see some incredible photography from the trip to Uluru by Mike Bowers. This episode was produced by Ellen Leebeater and Joe Koning and executive produced by Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.